Amen. Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning once again to the Apostle Paul's letter written to the Galatians, where we are going to look together at verses 16 through 26. That's Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26. And you can find that passage on page 1144 in your pew Bibles. This morning, we are actually going to be concluding our look together at this fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians. We looked at chapter six around this time last year in another series of sermons. So you can always go back and listen to those recordings on our church website for some closure to that final chapter of this book. So we will move on from it next week. But for now, let's look together at the end of chapter five. And you will remember that last week we looked together at the final condemnation of the Apostle Paul towards false apostles that we find in the church throughout this letter. Paul, having already spent a great deal of his time correcting and exhorting his beloved church, had moved one final time past the people whom he was seeking to restore to the truth and once again set his sights on these false apostles. We are to trust in Jesus Christ and his work for us, his perfection, his righteousness, and our justification before Almighty God is entirely in him and in nothing else. There is truly no gospel and formulation that will save us. We're not simply talking about just the extremes here, but really any other thing that we would dare to vault up into that position that faith and faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone should hold for the church of Jesus Christ. And it's so dangerous to simply brush this kind of thing aside. We hear it and we say, well, sure, I understand, Paul, what you're saying is certainly true, but it's not really as if it's all that harmful for us to expect full and hearty adherence to the law of God, is it? I mean, what could it hurt? Won't it make us better people? It can't be that bad to tell someone that they should do something that the Bible so clearly points out in the law of God. Paul, wouldn't it be better for us to err on the side of caution? Beloved, let me be crystal clear here. When it comes to what it is, that justifies a sinful man before a holy God. There is no other way. There is nothing for you and I to add. We do not make the person and work of Jesus Christ efficacious, and we certainly do not make his work more sufficient. We do not, through our own vain works, make God our debtor. And it's the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you and I are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And it's not of us, lest any man should boast, but of Christ and him alone. He did the work. He kept the law on our behalf. And when we decide that it is simply not that bad of a thing to add something to this message of hope of ourselves, then the truth is we have missed the glory of the gospel. 
And the Apostle Paul tells us here that we have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. And so the Apostle Paul continues to harp. And so I continue to harp and to beat the same drum over and over and over again. And why? Why say the same thing every week? Because, beloved, the problem still exists. Because we still cling to our right to be justified by the things that we do. We still cling to our desire to control the overall favor of God by what we are doing for God. We still seek at least some or even most of the glory for ourselves. And the church of Jesus Christ, by and large, has been led astray. We say one thing and we do something else. And look... I know throughout this series we have turned our focus on some of those outside of our own circles when we have considered a works-based righteousness. But I want you to understand, I am not looking outside of our circle this morning. Even good reform folk do this kind of thing all the time. It just shows up a little differently with us, that's all. We know enough to make sure our theology is sound and that it is in perfect, impeccable order. And then we find degrees of righteousness in the things that we do. We know enough not to tie it directly to our justification, but we turn around and we find those things that we do that we feel everyone should be doing. It can be any number of things, but soon those things make us better Christians than everyone else. And soon we begin to fill with pride and we begin patting ourselves on the back, losing our awareness for what we truly are according to the scripture apart from the grace of God. Wretched, filthy sinners who spend every waking moment being eternally grateful for the amazing grace of Almighty God and our salvation. These things are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but as we take our eyes away from the cross of Jesus Christ, and we begin to slip into another gospel altogether, we move away. We begin to see the necessity of ourselves rather than clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. We begin to trust in our own ability to do things. This is what self-righteousness does. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we are certainly not exempt. We do these things, and we need to not simply hear the warning of the Apostle Paul in this epistle. We need to spring into action, and we need to fight it with all of our being. We need to collectively stand for the glory of God and for Him alone. That's Paul's message, and we certainly would all do well to hear it. As he closes this chapter, he once again looks away from these false apostles and he speaks directly to his beloved sheep in the Galatian church. And he calls upon them to acknowledge not only the war raging on the outside of them, but the war that rages within them. And within anyone else, for that matter, that attempts to live by faith. So again, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, 
Please follow along as I read from the fifth chapter of the letter to the Galatians, verses 16 through 26. Hear now the word of our Lord. Paul speaking in verse 16 says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also Walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go now to your word, we do pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds of the many things that distract us in this life. Father, we ask that through the power of your Spirit, our, you, you would allow us to give our undivided attention to your word so that hearing your word through the power of your spirit, we might be transformed by that word for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, Paul ends this chapter now by turning his attention back to the church and exhorting them to truly live by faith and giving them at least some of the examples of what that living by faith looks like practically. He says in verse 16, I say then, or as some of the other English translations render it, this I say then, he's tying what he is about to say to what he had just previously mentioned with the word then. He had just mentioned in verse 13 that they had not been called into bondage, but liberty. He said, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. In other words, your freedom is not the freedom to love yourself above all else. Rather, it is the freedom for the first time to love something bigger than yourself. The Galatians had tied themselves back up within the bonds of the law. And the Apostle Paul, having thoroughly given them a reintroduction to the gospel, tells them that they have been called not to bondage, not to slavery, but to freedom. Jesus Christ had set them free. And they were indeed free in him. 
And he says that the freedom that they have been given is not a license to do whatever they want. But having been freed from the guilt, the stain, and the penalty of their sin, they were free to live their lives in loving gratitude by loving Almighty God and loving one another. There was no need in this economy of grace for them to bite and devour one another or for them to envy one another. But they were now free in Jesus Christ to love one another, to really truly, actively love one another. They were free now to lay down their lives for one another. They were free to empty themselves of self and to truly become servants of God and servants of one another. And beloved, I want us to understand this is what the gospel does. It frees you This is as plainly as I can say it. It frees you to get over yourself. It frees you to live for something bigger than you and your tiny little empire of dirt. You are free to live in the great, wonderful expanse of the kingdom of Almighty God in Jesus Christ by faith. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what Jesus described during his earthly ministry on the earth. Those who are part of the kingdom of God become the servants of all. The last will be first. It's a glorious thing to be a servant in the kingdom of God. And you see the contrast here with what had to have been going on within the church because Paul says that they should not be biting and devouring one another. They should not be fighting with one another. They should not be angry with one another. Where self-righteousness not only exists, but in fact is ruling the day, we expect things like envy and strife and biting and devouring. We look around the church and we find who it it is that we need to be like. How do I get into that position? How do I have the influence of that one? How do I have that reputation? How do I get the attention of that group? But in the kingdom of God, getting over self, we say, how can I serve? How can I love? How can I show love to my neighbor? How should I now live? It's with all this in mind that the Apostle Paul looks at the Galatians and he says to them, Now, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. You understand the message, right? Live by faith. Walk in love. Walk being aware of the war that rages within you and which side is which. And you will not live being driven by your sinful nature. Fight those things that are contrary to the spirit of Almighty God. Beloved, we talked about it in Sunday school this morning. I ask you again, are you aware of the war 
that rages within your own members. I trust if you are a child of God this morning, indeed you do. We live in the sinful flesh. Our very natures are fallen because of Adam's sin in the garden. And we are born into this world corrupt. Marred by sin. And though Christ has died and paid the the penalty for the corruption of His people, we still have this flesh to contend with. And that is what our lives are about, following our justification. We live out our lives and our flesh goes through the sanctification process. As we battle, as we battle against sin in this life. We trust God to deliver us. And we find strength to fight through Him, through the power of His Spirit. However, we are not the same as the one who has never looked to Christ in faith. They do not have the same battle raging within them that you and I have because they do not have the Spirit of God within them warring against their flesh. Often I have thought of the struggle that you and I live through in this life as a sign that God is truly and certainly working within us. I want to tell you, I've found tremendous comfort in that. To know that the battle that wages within me, though it is a war, Though it is uncomfortable, it points to the very Spirit of God living within my members. It truly gives me hope to fight another day, to never give up, and to continue down the path of sanctification in this life. And Paul says in verse 18 that if indeed we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. If, in fact, the very Spirit of God is leading you, then you no longer stand condemned by the law. The law no longer torments your conscience. And it's not because you have somehow achieved perfection in the eyes of the law. But rather you have, through faith in Christ, been covered by His righteousness. And your transgressions against the law have been forgiven in and through Him. And his work. Do you see why it is that Paul says that the one who truly belongs to Jesus is no longer under the law? The curse of the law has been taken up by the Lord Jesus Christ for his glorious bride, the church. And because of it, death has truly lost its sting. You see, beloved, this is the hope of the faithful. This is the thing that characterizes the life of faith. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And this is now our motivation to live our lives before the face of God to the glory of God. That is his glory, not our own. Because we see that we've done nothing, absolutely nothing to ever merit our justification. All the work was the Lord Jesus Christ and his alone. Beloved, it should fill us with joy to know it. Do you remember what it felt like to look into the holy law of God and have your conscience tormented? We should praise God for his mercy towards us. 
Paul goes on to describe the flesh and what it looks like when it's lived for. In verses 19 through 21, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They are manifested. They are known. And what are they? He says, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul really sums up the Christian life and our sanctification here. We are to deny the passions of the flesh and we are to obey the inclinations of the Spirit. And we could spend weeks just on these two little sections here in this fifth chapter, the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. But for now, it will suffice to say the works of the flesh are primarily focused upon our own gratification of self. They are inherently selfish. And the fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to get to in just a minute, focuses upon those things that are outside of self and are a laying down of self-interest. And they are focused on serving others, holding others in much higher esteem than we even hold ourselves. The works of the flesh, Paul says, are evident. They are known. That is, they are not unknown to us who belong to the Lord because if we are truly the children of God, if we are truly heirs with Christ, sons of God, none of these things are foreign to us, are they? We know where our struggles lie. Don't we? And Paul does not leave us an exhaustive list here because of it. He basically ends the list with a, an idea of etc., etc., etc. That's what he means when he says, and the like. Just so no one claims that their particular sin is not included in this list of the works of the flesh, he leaves it wide open. And think for a moment about this list. I'm asking you, beloved, who of us does not see at least some of our own struggle there. Look at that first group. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, all forms of sexual sin. And a very real temptation to many of us. Maybe you're saying, well, you know what? I'm not prone to sexual sin. However, you can't get past the second group. Idolatry. Sorcery. Placing something above Almighty God in this life. Looking to other things for your rest and your peace and your contentment. Looking to other methods of finding peace in this life other than salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. We could continue with the unlimited number of ways that we look into every other thing than Almighty God. Beloved, how we hate to simply be told to trust God in this area of our lives. 
Perhaps you're sitting there this morning still saying, still not my war, man. (laughs) You still haven't mentioned my problems. How about hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, murders? Still don't recognize your war? He mentions drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Beloved, this is the flesh. And I hope for our sake that we recognize our struggle. And I pray that indeed we have this struggle. Do you hear the word of God this morning? When it says that you have an all-out war raging within your members. Why would Paul say that? Why wouldn't Paul tell me how good I am? Listen to me, beloved. You have not defeated all these things in your life. So forget checking them off of your list of things that you do better than everyone else and recognize that the Apostle Paul is speaking to us. All of us this morning that claim faith in God, that indeed have faith in God, Paul is speaking to us. We've seen these struggles. We have these struggles. They're not foreign to anyone. No one in this room is safe from temptation towards these and other things. We all live in the fallen world and we do it in fallen flesh. That's the truth. There's no room for self-righteousness. But the fruit of the Spirit is something different. And it looks like this in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, as opposed to the flesh, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. You and I do not have to spend our time wrestling with whether or not what we do and what we want to do. We don't have to wrestle with whether or not it's sin. The truth is we know. Though we may convince everyone else around us, we know what it is that motivates our hearts. And when we decide to do something, we simply cannot claim ignorance. The word of God is clear when it makes this distinction between works of the flesh and fruit of the spirit. And though we may or may not put mass over the truth, We know where we stand. Paul describes the fruit of the life that truly lives by the Spirit. And he says, against such there is no law. Describes the life of Christ. He did these things perfectly. Where the Spirit reigns, the law no longer has dominion. The conscience is clear where the Spirit reigns because the life that is full of the Spirit has embraced Jesus Christ by faith, has been united to his life, his death, and his resurrection. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The Lord has delivered us from the severity of the law. It is changed for the one who has embraced the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. It no longer condemns the conscience. 
but it does continue to exhort and to teach and to illuminate sin in our lives. But no longer does it terrorize those who by faith have become heirs of the covenant and made sons and daughters of the Most High God. That is the truth of where we stand in light of the gospel. Paul says in verse 24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with all of its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Those who are truly Christ, truly heirs, truly sons and daughters of Almighty God, they've crucified the flesh. Through union with Christ in faith, the flesh has died. They know something of the death of self. Paul uses the word crucified here for a reason. When we truly belong to Jesus Christ, we not only have wholeheartedly trusted in the work of the crucifixion, but we have been united to the resurrected life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have embraced Jesus Christ through faith. We have recognized his work, never our own. We have trusted in him and not ourselves. And so Paul says, let us not become arrogant. Let us not become conceited. Let us not spend our time, waste our time provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's leave the glory where it belongs to Jesus Christ, him and his work alone. Let's give up the vain idea that we are somehow capable of earning the favor of God for our justification and place our faith in Him and Him alone. Let's praise Almighty God in His sanctuary this morning for the war that rages within our own members as we struggle through this life, knowing that there awaits for us one day a final removal of this fallen flesh where we will be glorified, where sin will be behind us, and we will stand in the presence of our Savior for eternity. And let's praise God for it. Let's die to self. So the question we're faced faced with is, will you step off from your puny little empire's throne Will you step aside, living, as Paul Tripp always says, in the big sky kingdom of Almighty God? Do you see the glory of it? The blessing of it? Or will you continue to fight for your tiny claustrophobic little kingdom where nothing is ever bigger than you and your own little life? Hear me, beloved, that's not Christianity. That's not the glory of the gospel. There's no joy in that. There's no comfort in that. There's no peace in that. But being grateful in Christ, will you live for others? Loving one another, serving one another. Will you lay down your life for the glorious bride of Jesus Christ, the church? Or will you continue to live for self as if the word of God has somehow remained silent, 
regarding what it truly means to walk in the spirit or to walk in the flesh. Will you walk in the spirit by faith in the son of God? That's the question.